StatsNet Original Podcast. Welcome to Season 2 of the Diffability Podcast, brought to you by the DadsNet and Get Cycling. All kinds of cycles for all kinds of people. Head over to getcycling.org.uk forward slash diffability to find out more and to book your own demo. I'm Paul and this is Michael. Hello. And we are parents to four children, our younger twins, Loton and Lance, and our 16-year-old boys who are soon going to be 17, Levi and Lucas who have autism, epilepsy, along other complex disabilities. And together, we are the Atwell Bryce family. In this podcast, we'll be taking a look at a range of different conditions that can affect your children and speaking to experts from various organisations to get you the best advice out there. From early detection to helpful resources and even some tips and tricks to make everyday life that little bit easier. Today we are looking at dyslexia. We have all heard of dyslexia, but if you're not familiar with it, it's a learning difficulty primarily affecting the skills involved in accurate and fluent word reading and spelling. It can include phonological awareness, verbal memory and verbal processing speed and occurs across the range of intellectual abilities. In this episode we are speaking to Jen Ferguson from It's the Fergusons. Jen is a former Senko and parent to two dyslexic children, the youngest of which has a somewhat different route into diagnosis than you might expect. Hi Jen! Good morning, boys. How are we? It's really nice to see you. Now, uh, to some of our listeners, we know Jen on a personal basis as well. And uh, what a great job she's doing. Now, we're going to be talking about dyslexia. And one of your children has a diagnosis of dyslexia, don't they, Jen? Yeah. Well, I've got two children with a diagnosis. One is eight and one is ten. Um, both very different uh, learning styles. But, yeah, happy to come on and talk about dyslexia and our experience of it with you. Yeah, so we have covered it before with um, Warrior Russell wanted so he's older and that were like, he's kind of our age, so it's quite a few years ago and he was saying back then it were really difficult at school, they'd just put him down as like a naughty child or they wouldn't get much support and help. Um, has that changed a lot over the years, Jenny? Is there more help and support out there now for like... I would say that Ted's school have been incredible. He, he had the most wonderful teacher last year, um, fully supported everything that we uh, suggested. Then we found a, well, they do a screener at school. Yeah. So the Senko will do a screener to say the, if there's a possibility that the child might have diagnosis, uh, might have dyslexia, and then you can decide to go and get a private diagnosis. So Teddy had a screener at school and then we um, paid for a private diagnosis. And is a private diagnosis, is, is that expensive, Jen, if you don't mind asking? Uh, I think, from memory, it was about 300 Right. And I think that, that, that's what's really bad still about dyslexia, isn't it? It's not taken as serious and it's kind of, if you have it done it through the NHS, it would take years and then the children are still just like struggling and not getting the help and support that they need. You know, I'm going to ask you, Jen, because obviously we know about dyslexia, but I actually don't know if you can tell me from a parent point of view, how this really does affect young people? Oh, massively. I would say more so on uh, outside of the academic school system. Ted particularly was affected really badly. 
in in how he felt about himself why he he couldn't understand why he in his own mind wasn't the same as everyone else in his class and we didn't know that at the time because he was too young to be able to verbalize it but now he's eight he's he literally just said to us the other day that having that diagnosis totally changed him as a person yeah and when we asked him why he said it's because he doesn't feel like a failure anymore yeah and some of our listeners will know about dyslexia but some might not actually know what dyslexia is. So what is dyslexia, Jen? Well, this it's so different for every every um, diagnosis, but Ted's was clearly in his... Um, he struggled to read. Yeah. He, he actually avoided books and stories, spelling, um, disorganisation, uh, poor social skills, low self-confidence comes out in so many different ways i think that's it isn't it because until they're diagnosed they don't understand what what the difference is from them and the friends i always feel like when it comes to dyslexia it's kind of ignored a bit yeah if i'm honest within the education system it's kind of easily missed i think because ted's was so strong in in how he was behaving in all aspects of his life he he became a school refuser. We couldn't get him to go to school. Yeah. He was terrified of school. Well, that that's unusual because he was going to a lovely school with lovely teachers and lovely friends, but something was making him so uncomfortable that we couldn't physically get him out the car to get him into school. So there had to be a reason behind it, and and that, that was the reason. As soon as he had his diagnosis and as soon as... Um, his wonderful teachers um, made some adjustments. He's he's really happy now. So you know at that point where you were saying you couldn't physically get him out of the car and you knew something was wrong, when did you start to pinpoint what the actual issue was? Because at that point, Jen, it could have been so many different things, couldn't it? It could have been so many different things. And I, and I have to say, I did start wondering a variety of... Um, I did wonder if it could have been a variety of things. Yeah. Uh, I'm a I'm a early years specialist, so I knew that I had put in all the early years work with Ted, with his phonics and his reading, well across the um, across the board, across the curriculum, but it it wasn't sticking with him. So he'd had so much phonics intervention, and he was still unable to recall his phonics. Yeah. So the. The more he was struggling and the more people would, teachers or, um, you know, online would say, oh, have you tried this? Have you tried this? I was like, I've actually tried all of these things from my teaching experience. That I think that there's a reason why. But they don't diagnose till seven, so you have to wait till seven anyway. Do you think that's late? Where we are taught with everything we do that early intervention is the most important thing ever. Do you think that's a bit late? I think the issue is that that it could be developmental. Yeah. So you don't... And Ted is an August born. Right. So he's going to be... I mean, he's 11 months younger than the other children who are taking the same phonic tests as him. So you have to wait to get to an age where you know that this isn't developmental, everything's been put in place, and the child still isn't reaching their full potential. Once you get that diagnosis within the school, how then 
does the situation change and help our child? Oh, wonderful. So Ted's um, report, it's its a huge, pages and pages. It tells you what his... Um, what he finds easier, what he finds harder, and suggestions for the teacher. I'll give you one perfect example. If the class are learning 10 spellings, his teacher will say to him to pick two or three and focus on those two or three. Yeah. That, that makes him no different from everyone else in the class. He's got the same list as everybody else, but he just focuses on less to his ability. It's, it's absolutely brilliant. Otherwise, are um, the report says for Ted, I mean, his his biggest struggles are his reading and his writing. So, for example, when he's doing science, forget about the reading and the writing aspect of it. Somebody can read him the question. Someone can write the answer. It's the science bit that he should be um, focusing on and assessed on. So he's able to have that help. Obviously, you've picked up on this early because you're like a teacher and you're, you used to be a senko as well. But, but not every parent no. will see the early signs, will they? Not every parent who comes from a kind of academic background will be able to understand and see what's really going on. So, and this is why I think yeah. it's very easily missed. So could I have a child like Ted not wanting to go to school and just assume it's bullying or something else and it, it needs unpicking, doesn't it? Well, actually, I think I've probably, uh, via Instagram, I um, pushed at least 100 children into a diagnosis so far. Yeah. Because the parents come to me in the inbox and they say, my child's doing B&D around the wrong way. And I'm like, that. let's not focus on just the B&D reversals because reversals are really, really common. But there's other things like remembering the days of the week. Um, the months of the year, telling the time, shoelaces, all of those things. It's a bigger picture rather than just a reversal or um, poor spelling. But if you put them all together, the parents can come to me in their inbox and they'll say, these are the things. And I'll, I'll be like, yeah, OK, that would probably be worth um, contacting the private assessor. Yeah. We, I've always noticed with people with dyslexia, because there's a lot of famous people in there that's been diagnosed, they've gone on to be really successful and they seem to be, although they're lacking in the reading and writing skills, the common sense is really good and they're, they're really intelligent in other ways, aren't they, Jen? Do you find that with Ted? Ted is so intelligent, so intelligent in so many ways. His science, his understanding of the world, his... Um, like now his social um, empathy, everything about him is extraordinary, which is one of the biggest signs of dyslexia. If there's a discrepancy between the child's intelligence and ability and their reading and writing in school. So how is Ted actually doing now? Brilliantly. He's doing brilliantly. His teacher's amazing. His school's fantastic. I would say that there's something that I found out about that I didn't know about, and it's, called, uh, it's a a kind of schooling called flexi schooling. Now, it's not like flexi schooling like I did with Ted in reception where he was homeschooled part-time and school-schooled the rest of the time. That That is called flexi schooling. But there's a school called flexi school and they only accept dyslexic children and they teach uh, for periods of the week in a very dyslexia-friendly way, and you can come out of your mainstream school and attend that flexi school as part of your dyslexia support. 
And where is that? Is that just one school or are they quite a few scattered about the UK? I think there's a few and you do have to pay for it. Uh, and some schools will support the payment of it and, and some won't. We went and looked at it with Ted. It's a class of maybe five children and they're doing lots of physical activity and left, right body work. Um, we know a few other children that, that go there and they, they find it very successful. What would be your, your top three tips, Jen, for parents if they're thinking that the child might be dyslexic, they're unsure um, and they need like advice, how they don't pick it and stuff? Well, the first thing to do, there's quite a um, routine system. So the first thing that you do is you go and say to the teacher what the child is struggling with at home. And then the teacher can tell you whether they're struggling with that at school as well, or if that's just just sometimes children learn differently at home. Then the teacher will tell you if they believe that there are things going on there too. Then you can ask for a meeting with the Senko and the Senko can come in and you can express your thoughts to the Senko and the Senko can express from more of a special needs background if they think that there's things that they could work on there and then you can have a screener a dyslexia screener and the dyslexia screener just tell me about that because i don't know about that how does that work and how long is that process uh well ted just went with his senko up into her office and she completes just a online test it's phonics um, and then it just gives you um you know like a chart when your baby's born and it tells you where on the chart your baby is it tells you where on the chart their all their abilities are so therefore the possibility that if they may or may not be dyslexic were you um were you wanting to know how long the private diagnosis and what what i involved yeah yeah uh well we found an incredible um dyslexia assessor he's called Keir Williams I I recommend everyone sees him he now does um remote assessments as well so he can he can diagnose children from wherever they are in the country and he works for the British Dyslexia Association yeah that he came around I think he was probably about three hours in our house yeah I did a home visit yeah and then from that you get the diagnosis is that right and then from that you get the diagnosis with a with a huge report that can then be used in school. Yeah, because so, some people worry, I know it's the same with autism, about getting a private diagnosis if the NHS and the schools would accept them and they do, don't they, Jen? Well, I can only talk about, from Ted's report, things then changed instantly for him in school. Yeah. But I do also know that our school, again, different everywhere, they... <laughs> they are able to put those things in place even without the diagnosis. I mean, teachers can teach in a really um, dyslexic-friendly way regardless because you're going to have children in your class who are dyslexic, whether they've got a diagnosis or not. Or not, yeah. I I also think, Jen, a lot of it depends on whether you drop lucky with a really good teacher. Yeah, oh, yeah. I can't imagine this situation without the teachers that Ted had because I was, I mean, it massively affected me and Ted's dad on a personal level. We were both emotionally exhausted. Um, But I was going to take him out of school. We were going to take him out. We had the letter written. We were just sure that it was never going to get better, and it it definitely has. So... 
I think that's really inspiring for people listening to this. If they're in the situation where they feel like, when's it going to improve? How do we make it better? I think so many listening to this will gain so much from it. I think it is one of the the big hidden disabilities, isn't it? The big because people are just it's just not picked up on soon enough. And unless you've got the knowledge like Jen and the experience, some parents would just completely miss it. Do you worry? Or when he goes on to like secondary school, Jen, how that'll pan out? I worry. I worried so much because of of just how he was socially. He felt so bad about himself. He wouldn't talk to other children. He he wouldn't go anywhere without us. He he was so attached to us because he felt so bad about himself. Yeah. Now he doesn't feel like that. So it. All of the worry that I had, and I was thinking, oh, this is going to be forever. All the worry that I had, the majority of that has gone now, just because of how he feels about himself. He'll just say to people, oh, I'm, I'm, I struggled reading that because I'm dyslexic. Could you help me read that? Or, yeah. You know, he's learned those skills already. Well, that's brilliant, isn't it? Because that's giving him the tools to go forward. Oh, he's like, he's like a completely different child. But I'll tell you what as well, that goes, you know, we're always talking about kindness and children being kind and accepting each other. Somebody in his class wrote, uh, made him a poster that said, be Ted, be yourself, be dyslexic. And he came home and was like, look, it was just such a lovely thing she made with stars and smiley faces. Be yourself or be no one, it said. And I thought, yeah, like that is so good. And then we buy Ted all these dyslexia friendly um, writing things and he takes them into school and the children all love them and ask if he can bring them some in. So then we have to buy them for the other children. And rather than it being something that he's like, you know, feels bad about it. He's like, yeah, this is what I've got and it can be a really good thing. It normalises it rather than alienating it, doesn't it? That's what it needs. Yeah, exactly that. There's a really good shop online. It's called the Dyslexia Shop and there's not really anything that you can't buy on there that you would need. Jen, so what are your top three tips for supporting a child with dyslexia? I think that the biggest thing for Ted was reading. So we just took the pressure away from reading full stop. You can think, oh, they're behind or they're not achieving what they should be achieving. So we need to do more. I'd actually say it's completely the opposite. We went from reading with Ted every day to reading with him much less frequently just to remove the pressure. If he wasn't going to do it, he wasn't going to do it. We didn't do it full stop. But you can do things like he read a line, you read a line. Or he'll read a page, you read a page. And just do two, four pages. Don't do the book. It doesn't matter what everyone else in the class is doing. Completely forget it. Just a little bit, just to give them that bit of confidence. Um, Second tip, a writing. If they're struggling with writing, we would only do writing for purpose. So if I say to Ted, oh, can you sit down and do your homework? Um writing down a list of these four words into sentences no he doesn't want to do it he knows that he's not going to be able to do it it's not enjoyable for him we'd say oh um daddy wants to take you to the football but we need to write down who your favorite football players are so that we can check to see who's in the team then he'll he'll write for purpose for enjoyment so come up with things like that um what do you want for dinner write it down write secret notes you know any any writing that doesn't appear to the child to be writing 
Uh, and then I would get some resources from the dyslexia shop because they're, they're specifically made for children with dyslexia. Pencils that are more comfortable to use, coloured overlays, books specifically for children with dyslexia. They're, they've got everything you could need. That's brilliant, isn't it? Some great tips there. I've learned so much just listening to you. And I think um, people listening to this, if they want to reach out to you, for yeah. some advice, where's the best place to go? Yeah, on, on Instagram, on it's the Fergusons. What tends to happen is someone can come into my DMs and tell me what they're worried about, and then I normally ask them to send me a piece of the children's work. I have a look through it, and then we ha- uh, and then I have a call with whoever the parent is. But I'm only do- I'm only a parent. So I'm telling you this from a parent point of view. I'm not a teacher anymore or a Senko anymore, but from a parent point of view, I would very much like to help anyone that wants to uh, go into my DMs. Well, thanks so much, Jen, for joining us on this, this Diffability. On the Diffability podcast, it's been a joy to listen to you and to know the knowledge you've got. And I just hope there's so many that are listening to this will be able to gain so much knowledge and to also know that they're not by themselves and to not feel alone. Yeah. Exactly wow. that. It, it, it is so overwhelming as a parent when you're starting on this road. So you are not alone and I am here to help you through it. Thank you very much, Jen. It's been a pleasure to talk to you and we shall be following your story. Speak to you soon. Thank you, boys. Every episode, we want to share with you our top tips and recommendations for getting out and about with your kids, whatever their abilities or needs are. This is Get Outdoors with Get Cycling. Get Cycling provide all kinds of cycles for all kinds of people. That's everything from trikes and tandems to wheelchair-friendly bikes and the ones with harnesses too. Head over to getcycling.org.uk forward slash disability to find out more and to book your own demo. So in this episode, we'd like to recommend the Glowworm Festival. Now we have visited this several times. It happens once a year. It's a children's festival outdoors and it's just brilliant. It's very, very inclusive. We have been working very hard with Glowworm to make it a lot more inclusive. And when I say this, I... 100% mean it is. It's very flat. There's lots to do. Everybody is accepted. Nobody is judged. Nobody looks at your child with disabilities and passes comment or as a parent, you don't feel out of place. It is very, very accepting. And they also have the Mobilu there. Yeah, so last year they had Mr. Tumble. So you can make a weekend of it or you can just go for the day. So they do a Saturday pass, a Sunday pass or a a Friday till Monday pass. If You you can actually stay there as well. So you can take your own camper van, uh, go in a bell tent. So you can either just make a day of it or if you're a bit further away, you can make a full weekend of it, which is really good. Um, All the fun fair rides are free. And we've found they're really good with us older boys, Levi and Lucas, with their disabilities, getting them on the rides fast, assisting them. Um, and like Paul said, they've got the Mobilu and it's quite flat and easy to get around. So if you're looking for something to do in August time, uh, check out the Glowworm Festival and we think you'll have a really good time. Yeah. 
And that's all from us for this episode. If you have found this podcast useful, then make sure to check out the other episodes we have available and share it with other parents. The best thing we can do as parents of children with additional needs is to keep talking, keep sharing and keep helping each other out. After all, we are all in this together. If you'd like to hear more from us, you can find us on Instagram at Atwell Bryce Family or click the link in the description below. Thanks for listening.